Hey, and welcome to the show today. You're listening to SinCensor.com, Feel Your Heart podcast. And we have another really great show for you today. Today we have Wendy on the show and she's trained in family and couples therapy. She works with couples on a wide range of relationship issues. She's currently pursuing a postgraduate certificate in sex therapy. And today we'll be discussing sexual issues and how to overcome them. This podcast is made by SenseSensor.com, the leading relationship institute for relationship skills and courses based on science made practical. To get the one-hour free webinar that will give you the key skills to get a safe, intimate, and passionate relationship, just go to SenseSensor.com and sign up. The link is in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe to this channel and leave a review. It really helps me keep the positive energy going to make more podcasts. Let's head over and speak to Wendy. So thank you, Wendy. I really want to welcome you on the podcast and also for making the time to speak to us today. I'm really excited actually about speaking more about sexuality, which we haven't dealt so much with on, on this podcast. So I think it's about time because it's an important part of relationships. So yeah, thank you. For, thank you for coming on today, Wendy. Thank you, Thomas, so much for having me. I, I really do appreciate it. And I agree with you. Sexuality is a really important topic because it's one of those sort of taboo kind of things. Sometimes it just doesn't get talked enough about, even between intimate partners. Yeah, and it's such a big gap often I think because we have a lot about shame around talking about it. And I think I read some mm. research a while ago that actually couples that were into kink they seem to also to some extent have better functional relationships and they had a theory I don't know if it's true but the theory was it's because they have more open communication because when they did do that they had to communicate more than a lot of couples do which basically forced them to in general become more communicative about their needs their boundaries um, and I think even talking about sex is also things we can take into a relationship in general, right? Because it's about learning to understand what are my needs, how do I communicate those, and what are my boundaries, what do I not, what do I not want, and how do I assert those boundaries. So I just think they're overall good skills to have, don't you think? Uh, you are you are so right, and Thomas, the vanilla sex community can learn a lot from the kink community because what they do can be at times dangerous, right? What What is really needed is very clear communication between them. And there are actually lists that you can find that the kink community will use that things that you absolutely need, things you ap that are an absolute no, um, and they talk about them in detail because what they've come to a place when you um, upon entering the kink community uh, that where sex is so much more openly spoken about. They've acknowledged their needs and their the things that they like and enjoy, and they speak about it in extreme detail. And meanwhile, I can meet with a heterosexual vanilla sex couple and there's nothing wrong with being vanilla sex but two people maybe that have been living together for 20 or 30 years but have never really talked about what they like or perhaps something they'd like to try with each other and it just feels like it gets it gets lost so that's one of the things that working with couples in sex therapy is useful for is just beginning to open those discussions that are so hard to have 
Yeah, and I want to talk more about that a bit later in the podcast because I also one thing I found myself as I started exploring this more was the fact that it's so much more than the physical experience to start having these conversations and sharing it. There's actually an enormous intimacy between a couple, even if they decide they don't want to do these things because it might cross the boundary of one partner, just being able to share it and having it accepting mm-hmm. can be a hugely connecting right. and intimate emotional experience in itself, right? So this is why I think there's so much more beauty in talking open about sex and just the sex act itself. Mm-hmm. That, that's 100% right. And, and, you know, that applies to things other than even sexual issues or sexual desires, because anytime a person becomes more open and intimate about, and, and, and basically more vulnerable with their partner, right? Even if it's, even if they're discussing an early life experience that really was impactful for them in in a way like their parents perhaps they felt ignored or and so when they feel ignored by their partner that it feels like being back as that little kid again anytime a couple shares intimate vulnerable feelings with each other it builds it builds connection and an intimacy between them and and certainly that's true in in the sexual uh arena as well yeah it's such a beautiful practice and i also know that you focus obviously on mindfulness too, which is something I love. I do something called five rhythms, which to me is dancing, meditation essentially. And I do meditation oh. every day. And mm. that this is kind of, I think, my first question I want to get into our, our debate today is because I just feel we live very much in a culture that's so focused on end result. Like so much stuff I read mm. about sex is about getting to the orgasm. And there's so much pressure yeah. on that that I feel... Often it even becomes a block to orgasm, but also we we forget that there's a whole journey that in itself is beautiful to share rather than just focus on that we have to get to this place. And this is where I was so intrigued when you mentioned mindfulness, because I think that's something that's really missing from our sexual debate like in, in modern days mm. and in our culture. So would you be able to talk a bit about how mindfulness and sex integrate? I would love to hear more about that. Sure, absolutely. And that is such a beautiful question. And and also the, the things you said are just so spot on, right? That that sex can become this goal-oriented, have to get to the finish line, and then we lose, we really lose the moment. So let, I'll start with let me just talk, let me just for those who don't know, I'll do sort of a brief explanation of what mindfulness is which is simply about being in the present moment, being aware of what's happening right here, right now. So let's translate that to sex, right? Especially, I see a lot of issues like with men who are worried, with, who have erectile issues, and, and they're just so worried about, am I going to be able to get an erection? Am I going to be able to keep interaction. So imagine if that's what's going on in that guy's mind, right? Oh no, is is my penis going to work? Am I going to am, am I going to be successful versus just coming back to the body and feeling the pleasure. What is happening right here right now and just as when we sit in meditation with an intention to be in the present moment, sometimes we use the breath as a focus, right? So we come back to our breath. And it's just coming back to the body. So mindfulness, when you notice, when you begin to notice, where is my mind right now? Am I here in this moment with my partner? 
what am I thinking about? Oh my goodness, I'm thinking about what I what I'm ha- going to have for dinner tonight, or I'm thinking about is my partner liking this? Am I being a good enough lover? Is my penis going to work? Um, Does he, she, they, are they enjoying it or, or is there something wrong with what I'm doing? Right. We begin to see how much we can add on to the experience and we're not in that moment and we're not fully letting go to the moment and the pleasure and the joy of what's happening right now in my body. And so that is really with mindfulness, it's just really being present in the moment, in this case, for the sexual experience, for the pleasure, for the feeling, noticing what is happening in your body and not being someplace else, right, in your mind. Because when one is someplace else, they're not here right now. Yeah, and I think... I guess, and this is what I learned actually through my my dance, which also applies to sex, is when I dance, first I was self-conscious and I was kind of dancing with an outwardly focus on other people and how they saw me. And then I realized, therefore, Mm. I wasn't enjoying my own experience because I wasn't present with self and I had the same in sex. Then I learned to be present with self, but I forgot a bit that it's about relating to the other and sensing them too. And then there's this beautiful Mm. balance where you can be both present with self and also sense the person you're with. And I think that's that beautiful sweet spot of of presence. And it takes a lot of practice and it's not easy and we don't always Mm. get it right. But yeah, I think it's a beautiful practice to have, which really is like you said about presence in this moment because the fear of performance anxiety for example is very much a fear based on the future right projecting into the future I won't be able to do this and I think one thing I can say to if we have male listeners out there that helped me a lot was to realize especially if people have erectile you know issues is the fact Mm -hmm. that you can give a woman wonderful sexual experiences without ever getting hard and that alone took so much pressure actually some of the best experiences doesn't even involve your penis so that can alone take a lot of pressure of men to thinking that you know oh if i don't get hard it's all gonna be horrible she's not gonna like me um it's simply Mm -hmm. not true you can (laughs) give like i said wonderful experiences without ever using that and therefore you know that's just good to remind ourselves sometimes as men i think when we put so much pressure on ourselves for this yeah that that is so true and and that is actually something that we work to do in the sessions is to expand someone's sexual menu. And really, if a couple comes in with, uh, with, the, with the man having erectile dysfunction, whether it's a heterosexual couple or, or a homosexual couple, um, one of the first things you do is take anything that is needing to have a hard penis, whether it's penetrative sex or anything else off the table and just help them to expand their sexual menu so that they they find other ways to create pleasure and as you said there are so many ways to create pleasure that don't involve a hard penis and and also just to normalize for the men that are listening out there it is so very common and i see this even more in younger men lately that if there is some experience where for whatever reason they're they couldn't get an erection or couldn't keep an erection or whatever it had to do with, it becomes such a worry for them that that alone becomes the focus of sex and it, it takes over. It, it becomes 
uh, an out of control monster itself and they and forget to just be present in the moment yeah i think that's wonderful so one of the points is be present and the other one is take away this over obsession that our penis is so important because it actually isn't that important for women's pleasure so mm. i think those are, are, yeah. are two really good points and i think one thing i want to speak to a bit about too because this is something that I've seen a lot of people struggle with, especially even though it's not defined by men and women, I think men tend to have more of it and women tend to have more of the other, is these different types of sexual responses that we call responsive and spontaneous. And I feel it often creates a lot of confusion, I guess, between the different genders because we often have a bit different you know, responses of how we get into our bodies and, mm. and, and how we feel... Um, yeah, how we get into our desire. Yeah. Would you be able to talk a bit about that too, Wendy? Sure, absolutely. And this is really useful for both men and women who who maybe they don't have what you're calling spontaneous desire. Like all of a sudden they're thinking, oh, I want sex. And they may seek out their partner for sex. And I'll be a little sexist as I talk about this because it's not nearly always this way. A lot of times I see couples when they're heterosexual couples and the woman is saying, I want sex more than he does. And so it does. it's not always the man that wants sex more. But for the sake of an example, let's take a heterosexual couple where the man wants sex. He has desire. He, he feels thorny, seeks out his partner for sex, and, and she just says, I'm not in the mood, right? And this is where there, the concept of willingness can come in. And it's often the case for women. Women, it's been shown in studies, can lose long-term relationships. So they don't spontaneously feel like aroused and like they want to have sex. Not all women, women by any means, but some women, this definitely happens for. So the idea of responsive desire is that if you have willingness and you can begin to engage, okay, I'm not really in the mood, but I can be willing to. Then all of a sudden it starts to feel good. And you're like, oh yeah, this is why I liked having sex in the past, right? And, and desire comes in. It may come in secondary to beginning to touch each other, but it, it can come in. And for some couples, just the idea, very simple idea. It's, it's, it's I wish I had thought of it, but it comes from research from, from Canada, just the idea of willingness for, for beginning to engage in the sexual act and then desire follows. Yeah. I think that's so important to keep in mind. And also this idea that sex doesn't start when we are horny or when we are in the bedroom, which I think is often, mm. and I meet a lot of men who have this idea that, oh, like you said, they feel horny or now they're in the bedroom and they start escalating and then they don't understand, they don't get the response that they want. That, you know, a lot of this has to do with also building up anticipation, which start way before you maybe even meet even. You know, it can start mm -hmm. a week before, it can start during the day while you're at work of slowly building up an anticipation of what might happen later rather than think that, you know, we are able to just switch off from the kids, from the work, from all these day-to-day -day stresses that we have and just suddenly feel desire. And I think especially women, I think, are a bit more sensitive to, to these different stress factors that can shut down, you know, their desire, which is something we'll talk about in a minute. And 
And therefore, yeah, I think it's just important, I think, to keep in mind that it's a process that starts long before you even get to that space. Mm. I, I agree with you 100%. Um, and, and even to build on that more, it's really everything that happens between a couple, even if it's not the week before and you know you have a date coming up or it's not the day of, but how are we getting along and how are we treating each other? Because I've had some couples come in and there's just so much conflict in the relationship. I want to ask the question, well, how does this impact your sex life? Very often it's like, well, who feels like having sex when we're having these arguments all the time? And so even uh, how, how or, or a husband, for example, and again, I'm being sexist here, but the sort of stereotype of the wom woman being more emotionally open and needing more emotional connection, talk to me, see how my day was, show me you love me and care about me on, on just on a daily basis, bring me a cup of tea when I didn't ask you for one or a cup of coffee and, and I know that you care about me and and it makes me feel warmer towards you. I feel like I matter to you. You listen to me. You hear me. You talk to me. Both ways. And, and men don't always need that. But it's not that men don't need to feel close to their partner. One of the disconnects I see is that oftentimes men will tell me, well, that is how I feel close to my partner through touch. That is how I feel the love from them is through touch. That sex is really so much less about the, um, when you really drill down about the physical pleasure, not that it's not there, but that that's how they know they're loved. And so helping a couple to understand that there's different meanings for them in sex and that each one has different needs is, can also be very important, just as you were saying and describing. I really like that point you mentioned about touch and, and how men often feel loved through that because I also think, and it's important to look about through this through a culture lens too, that we live in a culture where there's a lot of shame for men about touching each other, meaning I think in general men in the Western culture are really touch-deprived, while for women it's obviously acceptable. They're female friends, they can touch each other, they can hold hands, they can often do much more touch, they can massage yes. each other. You don't see men doing that, meaning I think women's needs for touch are more fulfilled in general, while men are so mm -hmm. deprived that they mainly only get touched through you know, sexual you know, for, through a sexual experience, which is why I think you're right that very often, and I found this myself, that as, as I started getting more touch and I started healing my relationships with other men so we could hug each other properly, you know, give each other friendly mm -hmm. touch and not be so anxious about that, then, mm -hmm. you know, I also become much more relaxed around sex because suddenly that need was already now fulfilled and didn't have to be fulfilled through sex alone. Oh, that's so interesting. So Thank I've, you for sharing that. Yeah, I just yeah. really feel that men, we need to do a lot of healing with each other too because we have this very dysfunctional relationship around touch where we yeah. shame it so much if men touch each other um, mm -hmm. and define each other, categorize each other, etc. rather than just realize it's part of the human experience and it doesn't mm -hmm. have to be sexual to touch each other. It can also just be mm -hmm. touch. Yeah, that's so, so so true and so beautifully said and so uh, courageous of you to share that, you know, openly um, as you just did. And, you know, that also expands not only with touch, but also with helping men to recognize that it's okay to express their 
emotional feelings that are not tough or rough that they can they can feel sadness and they can feel fear and they can feel worry and to help them to be able to do that with their partner as we talked about earlier builds intimacy it builds the feeling of emotional connection their partner feels more connected to them and some men come come in and they're like so puffed up and tough and you know I'm not gonna you know and it's easy to be have all those tough emotions especially anger and it really is and they say no oh those feelings those are for sissies but it is the hardest thing. It is so much harder to allow that softness and that vulnerability than it is to, to just be tough and feel the anger. And, and by the way, that's another really important place for mindful awareness, right? Because when you can move past the anger and really open to it and see what's underneath it and unpack that anger and really sit with what's happening, just knowing, well, okay, open to the anger. If anger's here, open to the anger. And often when you give that space, you can really see what's underneath it. And it's the softer, well, I'm afraid. She's angry with me and I'm afraid. I'm afraid of loss or, you know, people left me in my past and I'm afraid that she'll leave me. Um, and to help men be able to as you said, heal their relationship with touch and, and recognize they have the same needs as women um, mm. or, and be able to open more emotionally as well. Oh, that's beautiful. And I love that because you're right. We have these stereotypical ways that we live in that is not really creating, you know, functional and flourishing relationships because you're right. We often, men think they have to be tough. I actually had a man ask me, he said, if you could give me one sex tip, what would it be? And I said, accept mm. that you don't have to know it all. And he was a bit, mm. what do you mean by that? I said, because as men we grow up learning, we should always be confident. We should always know what we're doing. And because of that, we have such a big ego. And that ego is why women have to fake orgasms. That ego is why women don't mm. feel free to express to us what they actually want or if they don't like something. And I said, if we can instead accept that actually we don't have to know it all. And actually every woman is different. So it's totally okay to not know. What we do have to be is be open and curious and accepting. So she can express and we can explore together. And she feels comfortable being open with us of what works and what doesn't work. And that we're willing. And we don't think there's something wrong with us because she wants to use a toy. We realize that doesn't mean that there's anything defect or we're not good enough. So this idea mm. again that we learn as men, we have to have it all together. We have to know it all fix it all and always be confident is simply not true so i said just accept that you don't have to know it all and you know i oh. said that's the most important thing for you to learn much more important than any technique i said um just oh. accept that and be curious and open and accepting i think that's how you can give your woman or your wife the best experience possible and let her know oh. that um so yeah, yeah that's I, a really good answer. <laughs> that was a really good a really good answer. And and you know, let's not blame this all on men because if we go back to what we were talking about before with the erectile dysfunction, a lot of times women come in and they think, well, it must be me because he can't get an erection. Mm -hmm. So it's automatically pathologized, right? That oh, even the woman is saying, well, he's clearly not attracted to me because he can't get an erection becomes something wrong with him not being able to have an erection, right? So women can also, we can also perpetrate that uh, myth 
shall we say, <laughs> that men have to have it all together and know everything. That is so true. And a, and a really good point too. And, you know, I think it's good even in the beginning of a relationship to just play this out and talk about these things too. We talked about communication and say, you know, you're a new person to me, so actually I know nothing and I'm here to learn and I'm curious and I want to do that with you. Um, so again, it's just about becoming more open. And I think what I want to talk to you about next is that I feel again with a lot of sex advice I read online, it's all about, you know, we talk about the accelerators, we talk about fantasies, we talk about techniques, we talk about X, Y, and Z, things that can turn us on. But we often forget the discussion around the breaks of what stops sexual desire. And the fact is, as long as you know, that foot is planted firmly on the brake. It doesn't matter so much what we do to accelerate or turn somebody on. It's not going to work very well. So I really want to mm -hmm. talk a bit more about the brakes today that kind of prevent people from getting into their desire and what people might be able to do about it. Is that something you could talk a bit about, Wendy? Sure. And that is such a broad question. It, there are I could talk about that probably for hours because... Uh, as, as different as, um, you know, humans, of course, are like snowflakes. There's no two that are the same, right? Everybody is a little bit different. And even if people present with a similar problem, their journey in life is completely different. So even if you have two couples with the same cultural background and one is not both in both cases, there's a partner putting the brakes on pretty strongly. It could be for completely different reasons. And there's so many reasons. First, there is the basic biological fact that, uh, and forgive me for not remembering the exact part of the brain, that Emily Nagoski writes about this in, in her book. Um, and she really talks about the physiological part where some people just have more of an accelerator, and she uses those words, and some people have more of a break. Basically, physiologically in their brain, that's how their brain is built. Some people just have a greater sexual desire than others. And there are myriad other reasons as well. For example, so let's say you have a couple that comes in and, and one partner just freezes during sex and she doesn't want it. I'm, I'm, I'm just making that the, the woman, right? If in a heterosexual couple. Could be a, a lesbian couple as well. And it's, let's find out well, what goes on. Why is it that when your body starts reacting and feeling sexual that you shut down and you don't want to do it? You, put, you do put the brakes on or you put the brakes on before we ever get there. And that's when we really learn a lot when we begin to explore a whole sexual history. And for example, many survivors of childhood sexual abuse, just the idea of having arousal in their body is can be unconsciously, by the way, an out of control feeling because they may have felt that arousal during the abuse. And by the way, I just want to normalize for anyone out there who has experienced childhood sexual abuse, when someone touches your body, you can't help that your body may respond to that and feel and feel pleasure. It doesn't mean you want it to be happening, but the, there are nerve endings and there are things that happen and, that, and it is not your fault in any way if you felt pleasure during those times. But it can also, for example, be connected with 
I have no control over this and this is happening and I don't want this to be happening. And so a person may shut down. There may have been messages they got around sex just in through the church or, or through their society, whatever culture they grew up in. Uh, I've, I've worked with people, you know, got messages from the Catholic church, got messages from uh, uh, Orthodox Judaism, right, about what's right and wrong. And, and there can be a lot of shaming messages around sex. And so people have this idea, their sex is connected to shame. And so just as we were talking about before with unpacking perhaps anger and getting to the deeper, softer emotions, we need to unpack what's going on when someone is always putting the brakes on and really looking into their life's journey and look at all the messages they got. Look at what they learned about sex. If Let's say you have a, a, a gay, a young gay person who feels so much sex, so much shame around his sexuality or her sexuality, because they grew up in a, a very strongly Catholic church that said being gay is a sin, right? And so now they don't feel free to express themselves, or they maybe found a partner, but they have so much shame around sex and don't want to engage in sex. I'm just beginning to unpack everything and helping people understand the story that they've created about who they are. What is the story that they're telling themselves? And is that really correct? Right? So for the child, it was not your fault what happened to you. It was completely out of your control what happened to you. And to be able to recognize that you can be with sexual pleasure, notice the fear that comes in, and also begin to notice that, uh, okay, this is a different context. Not to dishonor what's happening, to absolutely honor what's happening. Again, mindfulness comes in, the awareness, knowing, ah, uh, I'm shutting down because of my connection to my past. And this is a different context. And the partner also has to be very willing to let the, in this case, for example, a survivor of sexual abuse kind of set the pace and guide what happens because it's a, it's a terrible, you know, one of the worst traumas that any person can experience. Yeah, thank you for bringing all that up. Those are so many wonderful points. And I think in regards to when you talk about, obviously, trauma responses that can also hold back desire and be a break, I think it's important to say, if you are aware that your partner has some kind of sexual trauma, um, just around you know the conversation of consent, it's really important to be aware of the freeze yeah. response because it's quite common that people who go into trauma, that they go into the freeze response, meaning they might not be able to tell you that they actually don't want what's going on. Mm -hmm. So if you notice mm -hmm. that your partner is freezing up, their breathing is, is changing, that maybe they seem to have disconnected through their eyes, etc., then stop and check in, especially if you know they had some kind of sexual abuse, and and stop and just make sure that they're actually okay. So that's just a small little thing I wanted to to throw in there. Um, yeah, absolutely. And and I kind of jumps me on to the next question because you started talking about this already because it's obviously one of the big breaks, which is... You know, shame, essentially shame around our desire, shame around body image. You know, we all grow up with bad body images, both men and women, but probably women even more so. 
And there's a whole industry mm-hmm. flourishing on this because, you know, the worse women feel about their body, the more makeup, the more clothes, the more cosmetic surgery we can sell them. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, th- there's so much money in making people, f- women feel bad about their body. And yet we all lose out from this in such a tremendous mm-hmm. way. Um, so maybe you can talk a bit more about shame and also how it impacts sex and also what we can do to try and and work with that shame so, you know, we can all feel more free in our expression. Mm. Yeah, shame is shame is. I have found it in my work. It's it's really such a powerful uh, experience for people. You know, uh, let me just sort of clarify and define shame versus guilt because that they often get confused. And guilt is when you feel badly about something that you've done. Right. Shame is when you feel badly about really who you are. And, you know, you brought up the idea of bodies and for men and women and especially women. Um, and yes, the whole industry of weight loss has evolved around what society, Western society at least tells women you should look like this. And if you don't, there's something wrong with you. I see that, you know, eating disorders with with kids, um, sometimes so young, uh, girls in in middle school, even earlier, that have started dieting. um, And and not only because of what they see, but sometimes it's the parents that also put this pressure on their child because they think they should look or be a certain way. And then the child may develop an eating disorder and they're like, well, fix my child. (laughs) Um, And around bodies, I've worked with so many women who just don't even want to be, show their partner their body, their, their, their naked body. They, they undress separately. They, they, they don't want to have sex because they are so shamed about what their body looks like because maybe they've gained weight since they were first married and their partner could be sitting there telling them, honey, I don't care what how much weight you gained i think you're beautiful and want to have sex with you and they 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 pull back from it because of the way they feel you know, you know shame so we need to we need to unpack it unfortunately there's no quick fix with shame with messages that are deeply entrenched in people about what it means to be a sexual being and that's part of the whole sexual history that i take with clients um, we unpack all of that, all of those messages. And sometimes just being able to connect, oh, yes, that's why I feel that way. That's the story I've always told myself about what it means to be a sexual being. Or you can't be overweight. Overweight is unattractive. Or, and um, my mother always told me that, the you know, always told me that you look fat or you need to go on a diet or there were there was disapproval from both of my parents or the messages I got from kids in school who teased me uh, for being overweight. Just to begin to unpack all that and to understand the story that you're really telling yourself about who you are, to have the awareness of that gives you an opportunity to do something different. And again, every time I say awareness, that comes back to mindfulness. Mindfulness is awareness of what is happening right now, not only on the surface, 
but opening to and unpacking and going underneath. And by the way, I just want to add one thing to the idea of mindfulness because um, it's been said, this is just not my saying, but that mindfulness is like a bird with two wings. And one wing is the awareness itself. And the other wing is that kindness and compassion and tenderness we bring to whatever is being known. And the bird needs both wings to fly. So that when you notice, oh, there's so much shame here. What am I telling myself? At the same time, to bring compassion to that feeling rather than to beat yourself up. Think about the difference that it is. Imagine yourself as a dear friend, right? Would If they said, oh, I feel, I'm feeling so bad about my body, would you say to them, yeah, you're so fat, you look gross. How could you possibly let yourself get to this point? right? Probably not. You'd say, oh, that's really hard for you. I'm so sorry that you're having that experience. It's tough to be sitting with that and to be able to bring some of that to yourself as well, whether it's around body image, whether it's around feeling angry, whether it's around feeling sad, right? By the way, when you bring compassion to something like anger, it doesn't mean that gives you free reign to act upon that anger and lash out. It just means that it's hard to sit with anger and it's hard to be angry. And I get that. And as I have awareness that this anger is here, I also have choice as to what I do with it. If I'm just being reactive and I have no space in between noticing the anger and doing something, then I'm lashing out. But when I stop and I come back and I recognize what's happening in my thoughts, in my body, it, 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 when I can watch what's going on within myself, then I open space and I have choice. And whether we're talking about anger or unpacking shame, awareness of our experience and being present and noticing is so helpful to connect us to our inner experience. And that takes that takes the courage of vulnerability and being able to open to it and say, ah, oh boy, this is what's here. And usually down, when you really drill down beyond all the other feelings, there's so much, there's all that, all those soft, vulnerable experience that a person holds. Yeah. I'm talking a lot, but does that make no, sense? No, I love it. I think they're beautiful and super important points. So I'm really happy that you're bringing all this up. And also, while you were talking, I just thought that for me, one of the, the main, I would say, ways to counter the message of shame that people have been given and that couples can give to each other right now is okay. acceptance. Acceptance. And I think very often what I hear, couples have resistance to this idea of acceptance. They will say that, oh, but I don't, necessarily want to give him everything he wants I don't want to give her everything she wants and I think it's important to understand accepting something is not the same as having an obligation to giving your partner what they want they're two completely different things so exactly. acceptance just means we accept that part then we accept that desire whether that's your partner having a food fetish or whether that's your wife wanting to be with three different men we can accept that that doesn't mean we have to necessarily give it to them but just the mm -hmm. acceptance alone take away the shame that they might or will start help the solving the shame they have and the beautiful thing too is not only is it an intimate experience it will also 
also open up your partner much more to you and make them much more willing to share things that you can do. And maybe some of these things you don't want to do in real life, you can play around with in fantasy. You know, that's something that I have used a lot, things that might cross my boundaries that I know that turn my partner on. But then I will just use it as stories. I will tell her good stories that will turn her on. And that's wonderful. So we can use these different ways, even if they make you uncomfortable. And just keep reminding, especially I know men with a lot of ego gets upset. Just remember, it's not about you. It's not because you're not good enough. Um, mm-hmm. it's just because they have a desire for whatever reason within them and, and yeah I really think one of the main ways we can counter the shame is to give our partner that acceptance of whatever their desire might be um, mm. and this kind of brings me on actually to the next question which is how couples can then start exploring what their turn-ons actually are if there are some couples sitting out there thinking yeah we want to you know, learn more about each other mm-hmm. and what we can do where do they start what do they do Mm. Yeah, that well, that is one thing that happens in the sex therapy environment. As we talked about, you know, right at the beginning of, of this discussion, um, the kink couples that are more open and uh, with each other, uh, or kink, uh, maybe more than a couple, but it, that that is one place where one of the things that happens in the in the sexual therapy experience is that we begin to bring these things out in the open. But couples don't need to come to sex therapy to do that. The great thing is there you are with your partner every single day, you have every opportunity to t- talk to them. I think a lot of times acknowledging there's discomfort here. You know, sometimes I'll ask a question of someone and they'll say, oh, that's, uh, it's hard for me to talk about. Okay, if you don't want to talk about it, you don't have to, but let's talk about what it would mean to talk about it or what's hard about talking about it. And so couples can begin just by acknowledging, you know, there's something I've really wanted to talk with you about, but I feel so funny about talking about it. I feel awkward about talking about it. Or I worry that you'll get angry or hurt and it's not my intention to hurt you and that's why I don't talk about it. Um, So beginning to just bring up the discomfort of talking about something and just talk about what it would mean to talk about it um, is one place that couples can start. Uh, Just by acknowledging, ah, there's, there's, I'm avoiding this discussion. First, acknowledging it to yourself, again, coming into the awareness, wow, this is something I'd really like. Asking yourself the question, why don't I speak to my partner about that? I worry how they will respond. I worry they'll be hurt. I worry they'll think there's something wrong with me because that turns me on. I worry about all of these things. So just beginning to say, I really want to tell you some things, and it's hard. And beginning, beginning in that space. Does that, yeah, does that make sense? It does, does that, very much so. And I really yeah. like that. And I always think face-to-face is, is the best way to do things. I know if some people feel really, really restrictive, it can sometimes mm-hmm. help to start even doing it in writing where you don't have to look at the person initially. I don't think it's the best way, but it can work for some people. Um, I know a few people who have... Um, use different apps there are some apps that you can do where you basically see where your desires match and that means your partner doesn't actually know what you have said yes to unless they match with it too um, oh interesting yeah, i haven't seen those no because that might be a, a bit less of a 
I guess, a scary way of doing it, right, I- initially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, I always think the most connecting way is sitting face-to-face, so that's optimal. But just for couples that might not be ready for that yet, this could be a way, because like I said, your partner won't actually know what you said yes or no to unless they match, mm-hmm. meaning that you don't, are not say. that exposed. And then you could start talking about the things where you do match, and maybe you didn't know that right. about each other. And that can then bring up uh-huh. a discussion that feels... At least initially, less, less exposing, and then slowly, as the courage, of course, built, then you can start being more vulnerable about other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, for a lot of people, it's so interesting that those apps exist. I didn't, I didn't know that. I have to find out about, do a little research on that. But uh, even to get to that point where, hey, let's do these apps, can be difficult for people to even talk about. There's things I want right? Or let's talk, or even let's talk about sex. Here you have a couple that have been having sex together for decades, but maybe they've never really talked about what feels good, what doesn't feel good. What do you, is there something you'd like to try? What keeps you from, from asking that? So, so there's that whole piece of just broaching the subject to begin with, to even get to the apps and yeah, and it's available hopefully. Yeah, thank thank you for putting that out people. there because you are right. It is yeah. a challenging topic, and it it takes some courage to get started on it. And I think, yeah, on that topic, I also want to jump into the fact that I feel sex is very much again. We talked a lot about intimacy, but normally the discussion is very much about this physical experience that we have together. And I think we often forget that we we always have sex to feel something, even in the most casual encounter. We want to feel mm-hmm. something, whether it's feel desired loved um powerful whatever it might be we want to feel something and i found mm-hmm. a tremendous value in in starting to understand what these emotions core emotions are that has really helped me a lot um to kind of get mm. what are these core emotions that turns me on and and why is that and be able to use that and also express that to my partner because that kind of helps the dynamics is there a way that people mm-hmm. can sit down and start you know exploring this mm-hmm is there a way that they can sit down and explore if, if, specifically? Yeah, more what the emotional uh, sides are, like what they want to feel rather than just talking about, you know, uh, I want to have this okay. physical experience, I want to try this, right. etc. Yeah, so that that really is a, a very beautiful thought, right? That when I'm having sex with you, it's, yes, the physical part is nice, but I really want to feel loved and connected i want to feel uh, is that is that am i just to clarify is that what you're meaning something yeah, exa- like that? exactly because we all yeah. have different things like for example like for me it, it's different to be honest there's different things i want to feel connected but also sometimes i want to feel powerful we have different emotions right and different motivations of ah. why why we have sex and kind of understanding these can be really good because they help shape the dynamics right of, of uh-huh. i guess what you do and and sex look different depending on what you want to feel too right Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that that would be a really wonderful discussion, for example, for couples to be able to have, right? When I'm with you, I want to feel connected. Uh, sometimes it's just about holding each other. Uh, a, a, and if we don't feel like having an orgasm that night, that can be okay. We can just feel, I just need to feel this connection. Or I want to feel powerful. And how does that happen for you? And I'm not asking you to respond to that on, on your podcast, but you know, how does that happen for you? How do you feel powerful in a sexual encounter? 
and having your partner open to hearing that. I think that's all about what we were talking about before. Um, maybe you need her to respond by saying certain things to you. Maybe you need her to respond by allowing you to take charge or whatever it is. And that it may or may not have to include orgasm or it may or may not include uh, certain sexual acts, but it may be more about how, how it goes between you, how the dynamic, how the interaction goes. Maybe it's just how you talk to each other, how she talks to you, how you, she responds to you. But being able to have that open up and, and share that this is something that brings you joy or brings you pleasure um, is so important, uh, agreed. And that all happens as couples begin to open up and talk about what their desires are, what their fantasies are, what their yearnings are. I think what I hear you also saying in this question is, what are your yearnings underneath? Yeah. And, and it brings me back to something we talked about earlier, that men who, who feel, who really truly feel loved by their partner during sex, they're just yearning to feel loved. Yeah. And when a woman generally hears that, it's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that. I thought all I, I thought all you wanted was like sex, 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 and it can really soften things. Yeah, I think that's beautiful. And also I think, you know, one thing that and this is probably too big for today, maybe we can talk about another time, but I feel also in sex is actually an amazing, beautiful healing property for a lot of our wounds. And this is where I like the idea of getting really clear about what is it actually emotionally that we want to express so for example maybe for a man who's been bullied when he was little for him to be able to feel powerful through sex is something that can be really healing for him um, mm -hmm. and to be able to okay. have that experience but of course that again require like you mentioned earlier that self-reflection self-awareness and questioning what is it that makes me you know turns me on in sex and what is it that causes me to have this strong desire with these particular things and when we can do that it mm -hmm. can actually become hugely healing i found to then engage in exploration of those emotions and those wounds and 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 mm. express that also through our sexuality absolutely absolutely and uh, you know that what you just said for example a man who was bullied and wants to feel powerful during sex right to it is a way uh, that he um, overcomes that that feeling of of disempowerment as a child, right? And and in this case, it gets expressed sexually. Doesn't mean there's anything wrong with him because that's what turns him on, and it doesn't mean that 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 will change that that's what turns him on. The sexual template can get imprinted early. Right. Ah, so this is I'm overcoming that feeling of being disempowered. And in sex, it's a way that I can feel powerful. And that really makes me that really turns me on. And just and it can be, as I think what you were saying is it's reparative. It can be reparative to have that feeling and in a healthy now context of of sexuality that's fully consensual. Right, um, which obviously makes any is what is needed for a sexual experience to be healthy. It needs to be consensual, um, and and overcome that. Right, and that's one of the things that gets unpacked. Right, maybe 
for example, a person doesn't understand certain fantasies they have of wanting to be powerful. And when, when you begin to explore their, their life history, you realize, ah, oh, there were so many places where you felt disempowered, whether it was among your friends or it was within your family, you didn't have a voice or, um, and maybe, maybe even when you argue with your partner now, you're feeling disempowered by something they are saying and that's why you feel so reactive to it, right? And so it's interesting that a lot of times when you really unpack everything, sometimes it has nothing to do with sex, but the way people are um, compensating for what has happened in their past or overcoming what's happened in their past. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely it does. Yeah. And, and I think it's yeah. because we are probably not aware of how often our sexual desire are motivated by things in our past, which is very, very common. Mm -hmm. um, I think the last question I want to ask you, and then we can always talk more on another podcast another time, because I know we've been talking sure. for a while, is uh, there's probably a couple sitting out there now are excited about getting started and having more open communication. So if they sit there and maybe they want to start exploring different fantasies that each other might have, what's a good way for them to do that and make that a safe, safe way to share? Mm, that's a great question. You know, I think that one thing I ask couples to do is when we begin to talk about expanding their sexual menu is to is to make a list of everything they'd they'd like to try from from anything that's vanilla to the kinkiest thing they might think of, and just to write it down and to begin to share that with each other, with with the ground rules that we're a we're going to be open and we're not going to judge. We recognize that we're both being vulnerable here. And that just because something is on the menu, as you said before, doesn't mean that you're going to choose that. It doesn't mean that you want that, but you can acknowledge for your partner and say, ah, I hear that's something that turns you on. I don't think that's something that I really want to do. And, and as you said, there may be other ways by telling, telling your partner a story about it. Maybe they can satisfy that need through, through watching porn, or uh, maybe there are other ways they can satisfy certain needs. But to make sure that everything is consensual, to be non-judgmental towards each other, and to recognize for, that it's a, a really courageous thing to allow yourself to be vulnerable with your partner and it's it's not easy and to bring compassion to that that feeling of difficulty yeah thank you wendy and yeah yeah really i had such a good time having this discussion with you today it's been really fun uh -huh. what i think is there might be people sitting out there that want to get in contact with you and think it's great what we've been talking about so could you just tell people how they can find you and your information online etc if they want to speak to you more oh sure yes of course thank you uh, my name is wendy dumbroff it's wendy with an i at the end not a y and my website is wendy dumbroff therapy uh, com. And uh, I'm in Madison, New Jersey in the US. And that's where I am. And all my information is on my website, wendydumbroftherapy.com. Perfect. So if you want to work more and like what you heard today, then you can obviously look up Wendy and uh, get in contact with her. So Wendy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. And I hope to have you on sometime soon in the future. 
I hope you enjoyed the show today. Don't forget to subscribe to this channel and come back for our new weekly podcast. Also, leave a review to keep the positive energy going that really keeps me motivated to make more of these podcasts. If you want to learn the key skills to a safe, intimate, and passionate relationship, then head over to sensensor.com and join the free one-hour webinar. The link is in the description. You'll learn the four reasons that relationships break down, how your attachment style may fuel conflict with your partner and how to break that cycle, why people cheat and the one tip that can prevent it, the simple three-step formula to lasting love. So thank you for joining us today and I look forward to seeing you next week for another podcast. <music>